It's animation celery time, the best time. Crunchy conversations about the best cartoons. With the ha and the haya that are significant. I'm your host, Micah. And I'm Matsy. Here on Animation Celery, we assign each other cartoons that we are forced to watch and then come back and recap them and review them and discuss them. And this week, because it has been very cold and snowy and apparently it's going to snow even more tonight as we record this, we've decided we're doing hot weather cartoons. We're going to be looking at episodes of Futurama, in which global warming is all over the place, and Pokemon, where fire is a type. But first, speaking of fire, what's cooking with you, Micah? Uh, all right, well, I have been continuing with DuckTales. Okay. Yeah, and I got an episode focused around Della. And another one focused... Okay. Yeah, another one focused around Goldie O'Gilt. And, you know... Okay. I'm not real big on the voices of either of them. I, hmm. I don't think they're bad. But I don't know that they can carry. It's uh, Pag- mm. Paget Brewster for Della. Yeah. And Allison Janney for Goldie O'Gilt. Hmm. So, I don't know. I Maybe I don't know what these characters are yet, but uh, I don't think that Della's... Della, as the sole... Well, mostly sole focus of her episode, carries the frustration well enough. And I don't think Goldie O'Gilt is charming enough. You know? Hmm. Anyway, I'm still, yeah. Yeah, I'm still having a pretty good time with it anyway, but. Um, yeah. That show's all right. Yeah. Uh, also, in, uh, I've been trying to support my, my top five from last week. Hmm. And uh, I've been poking in and, and then, you know, when an episode comes up uh, I'll, or the cartoon or whatever, I'll, I'll think like, you know, if this is my top five, why don't I watch this? So, yeah. I watched another episode of Spartacus and the Sun Beneath the Sea. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can't scoff too much because I also did yeah. watch the last episode. Yeah. And I sort of watched the turning point toward the last episode. Oh. Yeah. It's the secret of the Aurasite. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give uh, you and everybody a fun little synopsis of that episode. That'll be helpful because I saw the end of it where that had already been revealed. Right. But I didn't see the revelation, so give it to me. All right, so the pirates catch up. To, oh, by the way, uh, for people who don't know, this is a story about delving underground to an ancient lost civilization and their dying son. Yeah. Uh, so the, the pirates uh, catch up to our heroes and their vehicle, Terig, and they catch them. And those Spartacus and the others are captured and caged. In this case, I guess... They learn their lesson, and it's a cage that Arcana can't just psionically bend. <laughs> right. Um, the greed and the bickering of the pirates sees the keys drop within reach from the jailer to the mascot critters bick and back. <laughs> oh, by the way, we also, we do get a shortened version of the pirate song, of course. A shortened one? Yeah. But... We, we don't get the additional, ah ah thing. <laughs> but... Um, I don't think we get the second verse with, with Maddie, Matt swimming in the lake. Anyway. Um, yeah. so the Terrig, their, their ship, the good guy's ship gives the pirates the slip. Then they find and crash on Arcadia only to, ah. 
Yeah, only to find that its artificial sun, the Terra, is seemingly dead. And then some investigation finds all the Arcadians taking refuge in the archives. Matt is doubtful of his ability to interpret the old records, but Rebecca just asks some pretty basic questions to Terrig, and that leads them to learn that the Aurasite slab uh, near the Terra could hold the key. When Spartacus nears the slab, his bracer weapon reacts, and by his control, the slab flies off and into the Terra, reigniting it. This leaves Spartacus to question his role in life, but Arcana implores him to stay with her, because as an artificial creation, she too needs to find purpose, and maybe she can find it with the Wanderer. With the Terra and Arcadia saved, the group embarks on the journey back to the surface to return Matt and Rebecca home. Kind of simple, really, eh? Yeah, sounds like it's basically done. Yeah, but I guess they have some more adventures before we get to yours where they drop them off, then go back, then turn into a big hunk of metal and shoot into space. Well, <laughs> well no, they never drop them off. Like no. they at, at some point, it's like they they discover like there's a second aura site that they need to find for some reason. Oh, hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. I guess they did just restart the well. Yeah, but that's that's kind of all they were looking to do. <laughs> Resave the. Yeah. Uh, the sun and have it not explode and destroy everything. Maybe it breaks down again. I don't know. I <laughs> There's so many questions with the show. We need to watch more of it. <laughs> yes. So next week, we're going to be doing more Spartacus and the sun beneath the... No, I don't think so. No. Disclaimer. No, we're not. Yeah. Just gonna, we're going to drip feed it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, apart from that, um, next week is a big week. Well, for me anyway, oh. for a lot of fans, Attack on Titan finally returns. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, and uh, have you watched any Attack on Titan? No, but I am aware of what it is. Yeah, I think I had a dream about it once. Huh? And like the dream, so I, I think my brain, I had read what it was, and my brain made up its own idea of what that would be like. Oh, and and I found the dream really scary because the the Titans in my dream were just really fast and feral. They were like the idea of, you know, if they saw a person, they'd be like, oh, and they just run right after it just with like intent on devouring that person. And I woke up thinking like, man, the idea of a giant that just if they spot you, they will like use superhuman energy for the sole purpose of devouring you is terrifying. Some of them are real fast, actually. And yeah, it's that that show has some extremely brutal giant killings, which which I mean, like, sure. Yeah. Giants killing humans. Oh, 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 yeah. Some of them are smart. Right. And the one that strikes out to me to be like the worst one. Okay, so I guess uh, people don't know the show. Yeah, Um, I was going to say, maybe give everybody a quick primer on what Attack on Titan is. Okay, so it's an anime that um, has a bit of a mystery behind it. It's a civilization that is at once kind of pre-industrial revolution and yet in some ways very high tech. As far as they know, the world is basically their kingdom, which is uh, three ringed walls, uh, 50 meter walls in order to keep out the man-eating giants. And they've developed anti-giant weaponry 
there's the giant only has one weak spot, and in order to get high enough, uh, they have a harness and rigging that shoots grapples and propels them with compressed gas. So they kind of fly around like Spider-Man from buildings or trees in order to get high enough to slay the giants. Hmm. Anyway, I think the, one of the deaths that strikes me as one of the most brutal, there's a smart giant and uh, one of the soldiers has tried to get high enough and the giant caught their cord and then is just spinning them round and round by the cord as they just get like crushed by this centrifugal uh, force of spinning. <laughs> yeah, just, that sounds like something that would be in an anime. Yeah, it's terrible. But anyway, it, it's a <laughs> it's it's a dramatic show. It's cool. Um, I'm glad it's back. And I've actually been jonesing hard enough that I've been watching people's reactions to key parts and thinking like, oh, I remember that and kind of reliving <laughs> it. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really looking forward to it. But it's kind of a funny thing. This is the final season. But oh. Yeah, well, okay. This was, okay, two years ago, they had the final season, right? It was called mm. Attack on Titan, the final season. And they had a, a bunch of episodes and then wanted a break. And then now, two years later, they're having the second half of the final season. I don't <laughs> know how you can get away with that. but <laughs> Well, Aqua Teen Hunger Force had like three different season or series finales um, to say nothing of another show that we'll talk about later, which had like four. Oh, right, right. And and yeah. people who knew the like this case where the comic finished first and yeah. people knew like <laughs> as they were counting down, like, how are they going to fit all this in? Are they going to change change the ending? I guess they're still saying that because people kind of hate the ending. So they're wondering if they'll change uh, it. But I don't mm. know. I don't think. Well, I, I don't entirely know. I, I haven't spoiled right. it for myself. Anyway, that that's what I've been doing. Uh, that's kind of a disorganized jumble of stuff. But uh, how about yeah. you, Matsy? What have you been doing? I didn't think I had done very much until I sat and sat. Well, two things. One, I sat and thought about it. Mm -hmm. And two, something new popped up. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I sat and thought about was I, I can't remember what caused me to think this, but I went on a little quest. I have a really vague memory of when I was quite young of watching a claymation TV series. Okay. It, like, or little cartoons of some kind. Growing, you know, as I'm older and have access to the internet, I operated for a while under the assumption that the thing I saw was Pingu, mm. which is a Swiss claymation uh, series about a penguin. Everybody knows it. Noot, noot. <laughs> It's it's failed to make the cut for me a bunch of times on this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one day, one day. Yeah. Um, but then I discovered that Pingu premiered in 1990, which would have been probably way too late. Right. So I've I was thinking, like, what else could have been around in the 80s of short claymation features like that? Reruns of Gumby? I'm fairly sure it wasn't Gumby and Pokey. Okay. The contender that I have right now, which I need to research a little bit more, is an Italian series called The Red and the Blue. Huh. Which is about... Usually it's about this red clay blob guy. or Well, I shouldn't say blob. He's like kind of this ragged 
man. And he shapeshifts, you know, throughout the thing. He's like morphing into all kinds of different shapes, like a book or just, you know, the bed that he's laying in or that kind of thing. Mm. And it seems like episodes are him being harassed by a blue clay blob, which doesn't seem to be a person as far as I've seen, but is like always some kind of inanimate object, like a suitcase or a vending machine that flummoxes <laughs> red in some way. Okay. Um, like the one I watched was uh, the vending machine one where like the vending machine was like enticing him the red with like a rotisserie chicken or a cake or whatever. And so the red keeps putting in coins and pushing the buttons and like, and then the machine, you know, it doesn't give it to him or it gives him something else or like at one point it like spits a whole bunch of dishes out. And so the red has to like balance all these dishes and then it like shoots a cake at him and makes him drop it or something like that. So uh. I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. Um, it hasn't quite sparked my child memory yet, but it's possible. Um, this led me to look at some other claymation stuff. I watched a Academy Award winning, apparently short called Closed Mondays mm. by Will Vinton, which is about a drunk guy who stumbles into an art gallery and is like his drunken mind is imagining what's going on in the pictures. I, I, I like that one point there was a he's looking at this picture of a a cleaning woman like on a on a floor in a castle or something scrubbing. OK. And he's imagining her being really sad because her master, the guy who painted her, has condemned her to constantly be scrubbing this floor for all eternity. And, you know, his drunken mind gets real sad about that. Huh. So that was I. I I thought briefly about maybe it would be fodder for this show, but I thought eh, it's probably not a lot to talk about in that. Uh, the huh. other thing, people on Twitter began talking to me about whether I had seen the Hilda movie. I haven't either yet, actually. Now, well, here's the thing. Have we I, you and I have talked about Hilda, but I don't think we have on this podcast. I think it's gotten like a brief mention. Hilda but, yeah. is it's a it's an animated series on Netflix based on a comic book or a graphic novel series. It had two seasons and now I guess the movie has come out and I was going to watch it so that I could say something about it. Mm. But what I discovered when I was like, well, let me because I, I my response on Twitter was that I watched the second season and it felt like it was building up to something. But then it turned out it wasn't. OK, but so then I thought, OK, before I watch this movie, let me rewatch or at least refamiliarize myself with the last episode of the season two so I can remember what because somebody mentioned the cliffhanger that the movie resolves. And so it's like, let me familiar refamiliarize myself with what the last episode of season two was. Hmm. And what I discovered was I never watched the last three episodes of season two. Oh, for some reason, I watched the first ten and just figured, okay, guess that's it for season two. That's a weird ending. Weird how it ends with a Christmas episode, but oh well. But apparently there's three more episodes. So I guess I have to watch those before I can watch the movie. Hmm. Um, Hilda's real good. I like it a lot. I like the way it looks. The episode that I watched, the first of the three, um, involved tide mice, which are really cute little mice things. They're like... 
These little bean bags with mouse tails that kind of slither around. Right. And there's a character, a witch. Uh, they call her the librarian, but in this episode, it's revealed that her name is Kaisa. Mm. And she has two of the things that I find real attractive in a girl. <laughs> okay. Purple hair and a Scottish accent. Huh. Okay. So if you're a Scottish lady with purple hair, hit me up. Yeah, so I I don't really have anything definitive that I can say about Hilda or the Hilda movie, except it's I like that show a lot. The se- season two calls back to season one, maybe more than ev- any cartoon that I've watched. Like, mm. I actually seeing this episode about the tide mice and it's like, oh, Remember the tide mice? I never finished the incantation because I never gave them the bread. Oh, and also I might devour your soul. And I'm like, what's going I don't remember any of this. What is I need to go back and watch the episode with the tide mice again, because each the first season, my understanding is that each episode was based on one volume of the graphic novel. Okay. And so now season two is calling back to all the episodes in season one. Hmm. So it's. It's not really a cartoon that you can go a year between viewings because then you have to go, wait, what happened? What's the weather ladies deal again? Right. You know, right. that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I'm doing, I'm experiencing that now. <laughs> Searching my memory banks for this. Yeah. 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 But Hilda is a very good cartoon. I appreciate it a lot and I'm going to watch more of it. You mentioned the Scottish accent and everybody's got kind of uh British, they've got UK accents, but it's, they all have some kind of British accent. Yes. Right. But it's a Scandinavian setting, right? I assume. It kind of feels that way. It sort of seems that way. Right. Um, Cause everybody has names like Eric Alfson or whatever. And right. But it's like a weird modern tradition from uh, how to train your dragon outward that mm. Scandinavian cultures, for whatever reason, have Scottish accents, you know? Huh. Isn't, isn't that weird? Yeah. yeah. Seems lazy. Yeah, that me. is weird. Yeah. I mean, especially when a Scandinavian, I mean, is a Scandinavian accent really just that comedic? Because I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of a place where I've seen it. It seems like it's only ever done for comedic value. Like think- um, Cousin Sven in Ren and Stimpy, you know? Right. But it could be subtle, though. Oh, sure. I mean, there's no reason why it has to be comedic. Right. Maybe if it's just... a Scandinavian setting, just, you know, man up and make them Scandinavian. Yeah, I'd like to see it. Um, yeah. Yeah, but as you're saying, you're talking about <laughs> these, uh, my brain was hustling, thinking like, well, what what did happen at the end of that? And I, then I was kind of revisiting episodes I really liked from season two. Like, yeah. I like the time travel one, uh, where it's, through like the magazine that was in the bar. Oh, you remember that one? yes. Yeah, yes, I do. So good. Yeah, that one's that really is good. a good episode. Yes. And then the other one uh, with the warriors that keep coming back to life to fight <laughs> each other. That's that's the first one that I thought of when I was thinking, like, what's a good episode in season two? That that's the first one that popped into my head. Yes. Yeah. The witch stuff bugs me a little bit. It's Frida, right? Who's the witch in training? Yeah. Yes. It kind of feels to me like. She's sort of an inventor character, right? Like, I'll do the things that matter, and uh, Hilda, you, um, I don't know, whatever, I guess. But You anyway. be the catalyst, and David, you stand there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And cower. Well, for next week, I think we should probably watch 
uh, the Hilda movie and have it as our bonus thing. Okay. Like, like our chat section, we should discuss Hilda. Oh, I, I'm happy to do that. I will watch the last few episodes that I haven't seen, and I'll watch that movie. I think it's called Hilda and the Mountain King. Right. Yeah, it's distracting because, well, I guess I won't get into the plot points, but she looks nude in all the promotional stuff. <laughs> I have seen one one image where she seemed to be coming out from the top of a rock with, like, bare shoulders. Yeah, but I, I figured out why. Well, we'll discuss okay. it next week. Yeah. Have you seen the movie? I have not. Okay, then we'll we'll both find out. Right. With that said, uh, we mentioned a show that has had many series finales. <laughs> right. Right. Let's talk right. about the first season of it. Okay, uh, we're talking about Futurama, and specifically an episode called "My Three Sons." Sons spelled S-U-N-S. First of all, what is Futurama? Uh, Futurama is the second animated series after The Simpsons, to be created by Matt Groening. The premise is that slacker and delivery boy Philip J. Fry accidentally is cryogenically frozen on the eve of the year 2000, and he becomes unfrozen 1,000 years later. This future is something like the Jetsons, a satire of the current day through the lens of yesteryear's sci-fi. Fry bucks his destiny to again be a delivery boy by working for his distant descendant, Professor Farnsworth, as a delivery boy in the Planet <laughs> Express business. Working with him are an abrasive alcoholic robot named Bender and a cyclopean woman named Leela, who likewise left her destiny in career assignment to become ship's captain. Also, there's Zoiberg an alien crustacean and bad doctor, and Amy, an irresponsible rich girl. That about sums it up, yeah? Yeah. There's also, there's a couple of other characters. There's Hermes, the bureaucrat. But oh, yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's the basic guy. That, that's enough. Yeah. Okay, so uh, My Three Sons, directed by Jeffrey Lynch and Kevin O'Brien, aired in 1999. It starts with Bender, he, the robot. He runs himself through a bot wash, basically an automatic car wash for robots. Unfortunately, as soon as he gets through, his freshly undercoated body is caught in a sudden rainstorm. You know, I work in a place that has a car wash. Right. So I know a lot about car washes. Okay. I have never understood why people hate when it rains right after they wash their car. Yeah. I don't understand what impact the rain has. Is it just dust in the rain that lands on the car and then dries there? Well, I was thinking, I, yeah, I, I checked it a second time thinking about that. And I, I guess it's that final step of getting the undercoat that it gives him like a nice polish, I guess. Mm. That otherwise will now just look like a bunch of rain spots, I would guess. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. You're, we're, we're two pedestrian bums, so. <laughs> I don't well, know. I mean, I'm, I'm a professional car washman and even I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so then we get the opening credits of the futuristic New York with flying vehicles and pedestrian conveyance tubes. And every Futurama opening features a distinct cartoon on a billboard. And this one has Grampy using his thinking cap with its little light bulb. <laughs> the reason that this episode was on my mind yeah. is because that came up 
in the Wikipedia article for Grampy when I was reading about him. Okay. I was like, oh, oh he's featured in... But I forgot about it. Oh, okay. Like, I just, like, it, I, you know, when I needed a hot cartoon, that na- the name of this episode popped into my head. And then when I went back and rewatched it, I was like, hey, Grampy! Oh, yeah. right. That's the <laughs> I, reason I know this cartoon. I figured that was the happy coincidence. I figured you came here for the hotness and then you realized, oh, it's Grampy. Well, now I have to choose this one. Uh, kind of it's it's like grampy planted the seed <laughs> and then i forgot about the seed uh, and then when oh something sprouted right so the main plot it begins with bender watching tv alien chef elzar and leela and fry walk in on him and expose his secret love for cooking that night the planet express bureaucrat hermes we noted earlier Choose Bender out for claiming a paycheck for basically doing nothing. The result? Bender is the new ship's cook. So, Bender, Leela, and Fry take a trip to Little Neptune, a seedy area of New York, to get a fresh... New New York. Oh, sorry, New New York. Uh, uh, to get a fresh Neptunian slug as a food ingredient. Unattended, Foolish Fry deals with Shady Alley organ sellers and agrees to trade his lungs today for gills later <laughs> luckily for the feckless doofus Leela saves him later the crew are given a package to deliver to planet Trisol in the forbidden zone in the galaxy of terror funny enough the forbidden zone and galaxy of terror are titles of schlocky movies <laughs> Yeah, the other ones, he mentions the Death Zone and the Zone of No Return. Not right. movie titles, though, those ones. Anyway. Um, yeah. On the way to uh, Trisol, Trisol, ship's cook Bender prepares the Neptunian slug by dumping a full canister of salt onto it, which shrivels the boiled gastropod. The extremely salty meal is not to anyone's taste. And then once on the planet, Leela lays down rules that careless Fry not touch anything or talk to anyone when he delivers the package. His cross-desert trek from the landing pad to the palace proves especially arduous because of the planet's three hot suns and his thirst being worsened by the incredibly salty meal. The throne room, when he gets there, seems unoccupied. The throne itself has a bottle of blue liquid on its arm and Fry can't resist downing the contents. If only he'd first seen the liquid-formed guards that advance on him for having drunk their emperor. Their manner seems aggressive, but it turns out that having drunk their emperor has entitled the delivery boy to usurp his place. The Planet Express crew comes looking for him. Though Captain Leela is upset that Fry didn't follow her orders, he's quite happy with the results. And ironically, the package she was to deliver was a sign that reads, Please don't drink the Emperor. <laughs> the complication arrives when the High Priest informs that the coronation ceremony, uh, at the coronation ceremony, that Fry must flawlessly recite the royal oath. That night, at the formal supper, a Trisolian comedian named Florp tells us the difference between people from under the orange sun and guys from under the red sun. 
And uh, this is one of the Futurama jokes that has persisted in the back of my mind for years. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's like a hacky joke, you know, like, you know how yeah. white people be like, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly like that. So Leela steals Fry away from the performance to inform him that each emperor has an average reign of one week because assassination by being drunk uh, from his usurper. The dummy refuses to take it seriously, even when he's told that he'll be killed if he doesn't recite the oath perfectly. But funny enough, the next day he does deliver the oath successfully by reading cheat notes from his arm. However, while he's still on stage, Emperor Bont's face appears on his stomach and speaks, apparently still alive. This prompts an angry crowd, and they and the guards chase Fry, Bender, Zoidberg, and Amy into the palace. Fry's allies figure their best move is to make him cry the Emperor out of himself. After they find uh, him emo emotionally immovable, Bender calls Leela on the ship for help. And here is another joke that just sticks in my mind from this series, where Bender's talking to Leela over the, over the, the uh, radio, and he says, uh, Now I don't like you, and you don't like me. And her response is, I like you. You do? <laughs> it's kind of dumb, but I like it. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, there's, I like variants of that. Hmm. There's a good one in The Simpsons, too. Hmm. Maybe written by the same guy. Maybe. So Leela comes to the rescue. She fights her way through the mob, karate kicking water body after water body, smashing them into puddles. Bender, however, claims that she is instead overcome in order to make Fry actually cry because his dear friend has suffered for him. The lie is undone when Leela jumps into the throne room. Fry eats his pride and accepts her help in the form of a savage beating to make him cry more. Altogether, and on shifts, the crew beat Fry until he fully cries out the Emperor, at which point the Emperor joins in on the abuse. Okay, that's this, uh, this episode. <laughs> you know, back in the day, I compared Futurama unfavorably to The Simpsons, mm -hmm. and there weren't a lot of primetime animated series in those days. No. So when I got this assignment, I thought, you know what? I'm going to look at this with fresh eyes because I probably was unfair to this show. All right. I had lots of friends that liked it. And, you know, I kind of feel the same way after seeing it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, part of it uh, is that Bender really took off as a character. Mm. And I just found him not that funny. I found that he just kind of picked low-hanging fruit constantly. Kind of. He's... I like Bender in places, but I also... The longer the series went... I think I've said this on this podcast before. Mm. The longer the series went, the more it seemed like John DiMaggio lost his voice. <laughs> okay. Like he started to turn a little more black in ways that just didn't work for me. Because John <laughs> DiMaggio's a great voice actor. Like, you think about... Think about Jake in Adventure oh, yeah. Time. Yeah. Tremendous. Um, I really like in in Matt Greening's third series, uh, Disenchantment, mm -hmm. which is on Netflix. John DiMaggio is King Zog. And I think that might be the best role John DiMaggio has ever done. He's hilarious. I was going to say that uh, in the first seasons, Bender was like those guys from Under the Orange Sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he I I like Futurama. 
it's mm. it's hit or miss. Right. Um, it's it's not like you know the Simpsons. I mean, the Simpsons has been going forever, so there right. was like a definite like peak and then slide that has been continuing. Okay. And Futurama was always kind of consistently generally good, but with really bad episodes here and there. Like there are certain episodes of Futurama that just make me angry thinking about them. I just kind of feel like they don't have good jokes. You know, they just have rhythms. It's like watching there. Sometimes this works where it's characters that are the funny Mm -hmm. thing. Right. But it just, it feels to me like they, they, I don't know, you know, it's just kind of like somebody modeled themselves after good comedy, <laughs> you know? So yeah. they're, they're hitting all the same beats, but they don't have any good jokes. That's kind of, but that's not entirely true because occasionally there's something pretty darn funny in the show. You know, like I said, there's, yep. there's jokes from this episode that stand out to me. Um, and yeah. I'll say that as much as I'm dumping on this, I remember this episode pretty well because <laughs> it's maybe my favorite one. Oh, wow. I, I haven't seen a lot of Futurama, but this one stuck out of my mind because it's got a good plot. It's got good jokes. Yeah. And even like it looks good, like the Sandy Palace and landscape are offset mm-hmm. by the blueness of the Trisolians. Yeah. I think it's just kind of nice to watch. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Other episodes of Futurama are kind of busy and kind of gray or green gray and dingy. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I can kind, understand kind of like that. This one. Yeah. It's all right. I like, I, well, like I said, I, I think Futurama is real hit or miss, even mm-hmm. in an episode, like, you know, there can be even just little one liners here. Like I'm thinking about there's, there's one where Fry went to the slurm factory mm-hmm. and just a little thing where, where Fry's like, can I have some slurm and the tour guide Willy Wonka substitute. Mm. It's like, you'll have slurm soon enough. And Fry's like, but that's not soon enough. Like, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a funny joke. That's a funny little, uh, I mean, not even a joke. It's just a funny quip. You know who you is know? it, miss? is Fry. Oh, yeah. Some, sometimes really funny. And sometimes I'm just dying for him to get it out so I can move on. Right. Whatever dumb thing he's going to say. I, so, you know how I did a little while ago thing where I watched Bob's Burgers and just stopped whenever somebody said poop or fart. Okay. I almost feel like you could do the same thing with Futurama with Leela saying, face it, Fry. Oh, yeah. She doesn't in this episode. I think there's another character who says, like, let's face it or something, but... Well, like, she doesn't she say... Said, yeah, she doesn't say those exact words, but she says it in spirit basically the whole episode. Yeah, but like, I'm thinking, like, specifically script writing like that specific dialogue like because whenever you know fry encounters something that is different from what the way it was in 1999 Mm -hmm. you know leela's you know he's like oh but it was better you know the way i did it or whatever and leela's response is always face it fry and then explains why their way is better and it makes me angry because i i don't like repetition like that you know when like, like, you know, like the Bob's Burgers where, right. you know, poop or fart all the time. And another thing that has started to come to my attention in Bob's Burgers is the number of times a character will start their state, their statement by saying the words, I mean. Okay. 
Because anytime there's an everything, hey, can you do this? I mean, I could. Right. Uh, oh, that the voice for Bob, that's kind of his comedy all around. I mean. I, kind of, yeah. 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 Actually, I was, I was thinking that um, you're talking about how the Simpsons crested and fell. I think they yeah. had a little mini crest in there, too, when uh, there were episodes where Marge was funny. I mean, she's she's funny in early episodes sometimes, but uh, there's a bad syndrome in these primetime shows where the female character is your role is just to be a wet blanket. Hey. You know, like, yeah. I can't believe they did it for Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> where uh, what's her name? I can't I can't remember. But, but she's she's like as dumb as everyone else in the movie. Right. But she mm. just defaults into being the person that. uh that chastises everyone else in the show for being ridiculous, you know, so, so lazy to make these female yeah. characters that way. And I don't think they do it nowadays. Thank goodness. Yeah, and true. I, th- I think Leela kind of falls into that. She's sometimes funny though, but yeah, as you say, repetition, he, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's trying to be the straight man. Mostly. Right. right. And uh, you kind of don't need a straight man, but Yeah. I guess, you know, I guess our mixed, you know, mixed between the two of us and mixed in our own minds yeah. reaction to this is maybe why Futurama came and went and came and went and came and went and just couldn't keep any momentum. Huh. I was like, not enough people like this show. Oh, wait, lots of people say they like it. Let's bring it back. Oh, people still don't like it very much. Uh, it's probably the reality for cartoons in general. Either you're a mega success that can mega success that can go in perpetuity, or you're always struggling to get the funds to put something out. So it mm-hmm. has enough of a following that you know every once in a while they can grab all the seed money and put out a movie and then you know disappear again, put out a miniseries and disappear. Yeah. So yeah. So I think a lot of these people did better work <laughs> later, or <laughs> okay. I don't know. It's kind of like. Hmm. Maybe that's not the way to, way to put it, but there's a pretty big cast here. Yeah. So voicing Fry and Professor Farnsworth and Zoidberg and a bunch of other characters is Billy West. Yeah. Who is best known for voicing everybody else in cartoons. Pretty much. I mean, by the time Futurama came around, I was kind of disappointed with Fry when he first showed up because I knew Billy West's voice and mm. it was just kind of his default voice. Right. It's like it was like the laziest possible casting decision. <laughs> I guess he's the modern Frank Welker. Um, I I say that Billy D or what's his name? Brad. Yeah. I can't remember his name. Bradley D. Baker. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's the modern day Frank Welker because he makes the growling noises for every animal now. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we mentioned Bender by John DiMaggio and how he's uh, Jake the dog as well. Excellent, excellent voice actor. Oh, yeah. Never get tired of him. Except as Bender. <laughs> well, yes, that's true. He was in Star vs. the Forces of Evil. Who is he in there? He is Ludo's dad. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, along with Tress McNeil, of course, as his mom. <laughs> yeah, the other Frank Welker. Right, yes. Uh, we got Katie Seagal as Leela, who... You know, I'm out of touch. I would have said best known for Married with Children, but she's had a long career now. So I might say that she's best known as Leela. I mean, she was best known Probably. as she was best known as Peg from Married with Children to this point. Right. But 
I think after Futurama, like this is kind of her defining role now. Yeah, she's done a bunch of like TV series, uh, but they just fly over my head because I haven't had TV in forever. So yeah, me neither. Uh, Amy is voiced by Lauren Tom, who I think might be best known as Number Three on Codename Kids Next Door. <laughs> I mean, among her voice roles, that is sure. Uh, Hermes, the bureaucrat is voiced by Phil Lamar, who we heard recently as Green Lantern on Justice League. <laughs> he's, he's, he's done a million things, uh, probably also well-known as Samurai Jack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also had a look at the directors of this. Yep. So this episode is directed by Jeffrey Lynch, mm-hmm. uh, who's directed several good Simpsons episodes. <laughs> okay. I, I chose some of them that I like that include Marge Gets a Job, Whacking Day. Oh, excellent episode. Yeah. Lisa versus Malibu Stacy. Pretty good. And Raging Abe Simpson and his grumbling grandson in The Curse of the Flying Hellfish. That's another good episode. Those are, yeah. I mean, this is the, it's the glory days of The Simpsons. Right around the time that Futurama came out is right around the time that The Simpsons started to go downhill. So anything that anyone in this show has done before is probably pretty good. I think he directed only two episodes of Futurama. And Mm. like I said, I really like this one. And go figure, he directed it. Yeah. The other director for this, uh, Kevin O'Brien, is primarily a storyboard guy. Mm -hmm. And he won an Annie Award for storyboarding work on The Incredibles. So pretty nice. Solid. Indeed, indeed. So... I guess the, the transition is baked in. <laughs> Why don't we go from one place hot to another? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, Pokemon. Little primer on Pokemon. Pokemon is a video game series primarily, although the first game in the series, uh, actually two games, actually three games, mm. uh, Pokemon Green Version and Red Version in Japan and Blue Version and Red Version in North America They were so popular and successful that they branched into everything else. And now Pokemon is like very much the modern. It's it's very much Garfield. I was going to say more visible than Garfield. Yeah, Everything is Pokemon now. There's Pokemon everywhere. So everybody probably knows what it is. But if you don't, the basic idea is that um, it's in a world where all the animals are these little magical creatures that generally speak by saying their name. And they can be trapped inside these little balls called Pokeballs. Pokemon, by the way, means pocket monster. Hmm. Uh, And they can be trapped inside these Pokeballs, which then brainwashes them into doing the bidding of whoever threw the ball at them. And different people use their Pokemon for different things. You know, some are just cherished pets. Some are helpers. But some like to battle them against each other in a modern day version of cockfighting. And that is the primary goal of the video game series. Specifically, like I said, we're talking about Red and Blue and the anime series, Pokemon, uh, the first season of which, which this is a part of, is called Indigo League. And it, uh, it, it basically follows the journey of the first Pokemon game, if not the plot. The idea is that... A trainer starts with one Pokemon and has to use it to go around catching other Pokemon and training them up and going through eight cities around the world, fighting eight gym leaders to collect eight badges, 
which will then grant them access to a fight against the Elite Four and the Ultimate Pokemon Champion to become the new Pokemon Champion. And that is the dream of young Ash Ketchum, who was born with a really lucky name, I guess. Yeah, but it's spelled K-E-T-C-H. Kind of weird. Well, Ketchum. I mean, you, you can't... Oh, God, I said I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really blame him for being, you know, cat. if it's like C-A-T-C-H-E-M, it's like, that's a little too on the nose. At least this has some plausible deniability. <laughs> I guess so. Pokemon is all about nuance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Ash, he is a Pokemon, aspiring Pokemon trainer who is heading out on the typical Pokemon journey. Now, typically, a Pokemon trainer gets to start with their choice of a grass Pokemon, a fire Pokemon, or a water Pokemon. What, uh, Pokemon, by the way, have different elemental types associated with them. And to make sure that the choice in the cartoon is not the canonical correct choice in the video game, hmm. they forced Ash into a fourth option. So in the first games, you have to choose a grass Pokemon, a little uh, viney dinosaur called Bulbasaur, the fire Pokemon, a fiery lizard called Charizard, and the water Pokemon, a watery twer uh, turtle called Squirtle. Yeah, kind of a scissors, paper, rock dynamic. Very much, yes. Uh, grass can absorb water. Water puts out fire and fire burns grass. Wood beats water. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so to make sure that people weren't, you know, didn't think, oh, well, the guy in the anime picked Charizard, so Charizard is the correct choice. They made Ash pick a fourth option by having the other three already taken. Ash has to start with an electric Pokemon, a mouse called Pikachu. And that is why Pikachu is sort of the mascot of the whole Pokemon series. Now, very swiftly, Ash encountered a girl named Misty and wrecked her bicycle. And so Misty is now following him around to make sure that he pays her back. And after his first fight in the gym of Pewter City against the rock-based gym leader Brock, Brock also decided to come along because he dreams of being a great Pokemon breeder and also a great Pokemon trainer breeder because he is this series' <laughs> lech. Yeah. Uh, Ash then discovered that the second gym leader was a series of sisters who didn't want to fight anymore, but one of them still did, and that's Misty. So he beat Brock and he beat Misty and he's beaten, I think, at least one other trainer at the point that this episode is coming along. But yeah, but basically he has Brock and Misty as his companions. His antagonists are a criminal syndicate. Every video game, every Pokemon game, I should say, has one in the first game. It's Team Rocket, specifically a pair called Jesse and James and their Meowth companion this specific Meowth being one of the only Pokemon in the world who can actually speak English. Now, Team Rocket's whole thing is exploiting Pokemon for their own, like, profit and nefarious purposes. But the first time they saw Ash, 
They were so struck by the sheer power of his Pikachu that Jesse and James have kind of made it their life's goal to steal Pikachu. So you have Ash, Misty and Brock traveling around so that Ash can beat all the gym leaders being followed around by Jesse and James and Meowth so that they can steal his Pikachu. Got it. Got it. Okay, good. Now, this episode is called Beauty and the Beach. And it starts with a real quick recap of the end of the last episode where everybody escaped from a roller coaster in a theme park. (laughs) So with that set up, they are in the beach resort town of Porta Vista, and they're ready for some R&R under the sun. We get a shot of Misty in a bathing suit to remind us that she's a girl, because that will be important later. Yeah, but but this bikini barely covers less than what she normally wears anyway. (laughs) Kind of weird. That's true. If I remember correctly, this bikini is actually closer to the outfit that she wears in the video game. Right. Because because her gym is like basically a swimming pool. By the way, if you want to show your yikes. Misty is apparently 10 years old. What? Which I always had this mixed up, apparently. Uh, I'd read that she was 12, which I guess is not any much better for sexualizing her. But um, Well, no. But, okay, just based on looks, when I look at her and Ash, I find it reasonable that he is 10 and she is 12. Apparently, they're both 10. Apparently, that idea that she's 12 is taken from the comics. Hmm. And everything is skewed because in the comics, she is ridiculously shapely. She looks more (laughs) like 20. So (laughs) anyway. Okay. Well, good to know. Hmm. So, yeah, she's a girl. And then we get to see Team Rocket. Now, Team Rocket have a pedal powered Gyarados shaped submarine. Gyarados is a water dragon Pokemon which evolves from the useless fish Magikarp. Their plan with this submarine is to scare off beachgoers, because this Gyarados is also a tank. It can go on land. Their plan is to scare off beachgoers and steal their wallets. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, meanwhile, Ash and his friends are on a fancy boat. And as they talk about it, they all come to the realization that they accidentally stole it. (laughs) They're... (laughs) (laughs) Their boat and Team Rocket's submarine collide, and the boat crashes into a dock. Fortunately, it's the dock the boat came from. Unfortunately, the owner of the boat and the dock, an old man named Moe, shows up to chew out the boat thieves and dock wreckers. But he's calmed a little by Misty being a pretty girl. Okay, so... Let me... Let me give a little uh, inside baseball here. Um, You said last time any version that I could find of this is fine because it's censored. Yeah. The version that I found is the English dub, but with the original Japanese cut out scenes spliced back in. Right. So the English dub here, Mo says that Misty reminds him of his granddaughter. Mm. But... From his facial expression as he's saying that, I'm thinking the original Japanese version might have been a little different. Oh, yeah. He actually says, uh, I can't wait to see you eight years from now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, that's worse than I imagined. Well, I don't know. It could be worse. <laughs> I guess, yeah. It could be. At least he's willing to wait. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, yeah, Misty, now that she's uh, caught his attention, Misty volunteers their services to work off the damage they caused. At the same time, Team Rocket wash up on a beach and are wondering how to repair their boat when a nasty little lady named Brutella shows up and claims that they're on her restaurant's private beach. Similar to Misty, James volunteers their services as waiters to pay for their repairs, and Jesse grudgingly goes along with it. And so, the two restaurants, because Mo runs a restaurant as well, we find out. Hmm. The two restaurants go to war. Brutella's place has an advantage because it looks higher class and it has adult employees rather than child labor. <laughs> but then Ash figures out the only thing better than child labor is animal labor. And he unleashes or unballs four of his Pokemon. I forgot to mention... Remember I said that the three starting choices are Bulbasaur, Charmander, and Squirtle? Yeah. And they gave Ash Pikachu to make sure that none of them was the right choice? Yeah. Well, just to make sure that the video game players didn't feel left out, uh, some of the first Pokemon uh, Ash ends up with, through various means, are Bulbasaur, Charmander, and Squirtle. So he yeah. has those three. He does that every series now. Like yes, he, he, yeah. He captured... Or... I think they do a little better job. His traveling companions sometimes divide them up. Yeah. 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 So he has these three. I think at this point he also has a Butterfree. He has a few. But yeah. for the purposes of this episode, he's got his Pikachu, Bulbasaur, Charmander, Squirtle, and a bird Pokemon called Pidgeotto. So the novelty of Pokemon helpers starts to attract customers, which inspires Team Rocket to inflict sabotage. So Moe's place is empty once again, and Brutella and Team Rocket show up so that Brutella can demand the money that Moe owes her, apparently. Uh, right. She wants it tomorrow. <laughs> and in lieu of money, she's going to take his boat. Seems legal. Yeah. <laughs> now, Moe has a dream of sailing around the world, and Ash knows all about following dreams. He refuses to let Moe give up, although... No one knows how to make an unspecified amount of money in one day. Let me ask you. Let me break right here. Okay, one yeah. Of the, one of the sab. <laughs> this is kind of silly. Well, one of the sabotages is uh, Meowth pumping uh, oil into the <laughs> furnace that Charmander is heating, right. causing the fried noodles that Mo is cooking to go up in flames, and him too, for that matter. Right. Um, do you like yakisoba? I don't know that I've had it a whole lot. Mm. This is one of those dishes that I keep expecting to be great. You know, mm. like I'm going to love this. And always it's just, it's okay. Hmm. Hmm. Yet I keep ordering it. Go figure. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Teriyaki is like that with me. It's like, I like mm. it for a while. Like when I first take the first few bites, it's like, mmm. And then after a while, it's like, oh, I have to eat the rest of this now, huh? Yeah, but because I don't have it right in front of me, I kind of want some yakisoba now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, cool. Uh, okay, so, yeah, so they're stuck. They need money, and they don't know how to get it. But then, Ash's mentor, Professor Oak, shows up. And not only that, he's with Ash's mom. Now, 
Professor Oak has an idea. He directs the friend's attention to the annual Beach Beauty and Pokemon Costume Contest, which is happening today. Hmm. The plan is to advertise to the people who go to see the contest. And Misty also decides she wants to enter because there's cash prizes. So now we head to this uh, beauty pageant. Presumably this has been set up far, far in advance. And <laughs> for some inexplicable reason, Brock ends up as the announcer. That happens in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you'd think they would have had that covered, but... <sighs> hmm. We get a mostly pointless scene where Mo explains to Ash's mom how helpful Ash has been, just so she knows he's a good person. And then we get the contest. <laughs> Misty is actually the first competitor and everybody likes her. She is lamenting that it's embarrassing and degrading, but they need the money. Mm. And now that you've said she's 10, even 12, like right. having this whole crowd of people hoot and holler at how pretty she looks in a bikini is pretty <laughs> creepy. Pretty par for the course. I guess we'll get in that later. About yeah, this kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. It gets worse from here. Um, <laughs> the Pokemon costume contest. And but this apparently means not a costume of a Pokemon, but Pokemon in costumes. Hmm. And it's Squirtle in a little helmet riding around Misty's uh, star you like an alien flying saucer. I never mentioned the companions Pokemon. Misty has two starfish Pokemon, Starmie and its evolved form, Staryu. And Brock has some rock Pokemon, a Geodude and an Onix. Hmm. Misty also at some point gets an idiotic platypus called Psyduck, but he's not in this episode. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, so we got these um, flying saucer and Squirtle spouts some water just to make sure that Misty sparkles because the only thing better than a beauty pageant is a wet t-shirt contest <laughs> with a 12-year-old. And now we get the moment that this episode is known for. Mm -hmm. This is the part that was cut out of the English version. Misty is shoved aside by Team Rocket, Jesse and James, who are in bikinis and that includes James. James is a man, but he explains <laughs> that his beauty doesn't exist in men, by which he means he has the biggest set of breasts in the entire Pokemon anime, which he <laughs> inflates to make even bigger. So I guess they're fake. Mm. Um, now, you could try to say, oh, well, the, James is the first example of a transgender character. In a no, it's just so they can perv at boobs. It, it's right. inexplicable. It's just so that there can be some pervy boobs. Well, it's a joke for him. But yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially when he flaunts his chest at Misty and taunts that she entered the contest 10 years too early. Hmm. So if, what is she, 20, 22? Uh, now, for the Pokemon contest entry, Jesse, Jesse and James have Pokemon as well. Jesse has a snake called Ekans, and James has a poison floating ball called Coughing. And mm. the two of them combine to make an ancient uh, fossil Pokemon called Amastar. But everyone is unimpressed at the thing because it looks dumb. And then they're knocked off the stage 
by Ash's chief rival, Professor Oak's grandson, Gary, who's the biggest jerk in the world. And he has six bikini babes with him, which (laughs) one man entering with six women cannot be a legal entry into this beauty pageant. What is if Brock is in charge of this thing, he is just it's gotten away from it's all gotten away from him. Gary grabs the mic and taunts Ash specifically in the video games. You have this rival and he's always one step ahead of you. Every time you go to a gym, the sign says that the winning trainer is this character. Hmm. So while well, Gary is taunting Ash and Misty is worried about how she can compete with six beautiful women who are probably 10 years older than her and there's six of them. Mm. While this is going on, Brutella pulls Jesse and James aside. She reveals that she knows that they're the criminals, Team Rocket. But she doesn't care. She has fixed their Gyarados boat, and she'll make them pay for it unless they do what she says. But fortunately, her orders are right up Team Rocket's alley, which is wreck the beauty pageant and wreck Moe's restaurant. Mm. Back at the pageant, Ash has jumped on the stage now and he's continuing to lose his temper at Gary until the Gyarados machine, which remember, I said it could have it could go on the land. It has tank treads. It comes ashore and starts chasing everyone away. But Ash gets on the mic and lets everyone know that it's a fake Gyarados. So relax, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. (laughs) It's not a dragon. It's just a tank. (laughs) And it fires a heat seeking missile. But uh, Ash is able to use his Charmander's fire breath to turn it against Team Rocket. They try to escape, and both their tank and the missile crash into Brutella's restaurant, which uh, the running gag at the end of every episode is that Team Rocket get uh, shot into the sky and say that they're blasting off again. And this is Brutella's first time blasting off. Mm. And now... Suddenly, Moe's boat is prepared, and he's sailing off to follow his dream. I guess we can assume that without Brutella's restaurant, he was the only game in town, and they made the money in no time. I guess. And then Ash and his friends say goodbye to Professor Oak and Ash's mom, and continue on their journey. And also, Ash's mom has a trophy. Uh, From what I could see, it was never translated into English, but uh, I guess she won the beauty contest. You know, that's funny because you're saying there's like extra scenes. I expected to see her in the beauty contest based on that ending. <laughs> Alas, no. No, it's just I, I think this is the joke. Um, I have to mention at the very end here. This is the end of the episode, by the way. That's the end. Mm. And <laughs> something that actually made me laugh was Ash, as he's saying his goodbye to his mom, he says, I'm going to make you proud. And then she mm. says nothing. And then he says <laughs> nothing. And then they walk right. away. And then once they're out of earshot, Professor Oak says, he's a wonderful young man. You should be very proud. (laughs) And she says, oh, I am. (laughs) But it was really funny. He was like, I'm going to make you proud. And she's like. Dot, dot, dot. Right. (sighs) It's a special episode of uh, of Garfield without Ash, I guess. <laughs> it took me a second to get that. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me start by saying I've said before that I prefer my anime dubbed 
or uh, subbed, subtitled yeah. as opposed to dubbed. Okay. And I think this is one of the prime reasons for that because I hate the voice acting in the English version of Pokemon. I know you do. <laughs> oh my God, this, the beauty contest when Brock is announcing it, I was, I turned away in my chair. I was like, you know, they say things are cringy. I was physically contorting in my chair. I, I remember in high school that you had a habit <laughs> portraying Ash in the worst possible voice. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, what's that Pokemon? <laughs> yeah, he's an idiot. He wants to be a great Pokemon trainer and he doesn't know anything. Right. Oh, my gosh. He's a Pokemon now, fan, too. Like, he records the battles and stuff. Yeah. Makes no uh, sense. But every time, I mean, it's it's for audience exposition. It's so he can pull out his little computer, the Pokedex, and the Pokedex can tell the audience all about how friggin' cool Caterpie is, and you should probably go buy the video game <laughs> or or at least a doll. But it makes Ash look like a moron when he's like, yeah, his hat with the little uh, black swoosh on it. Yeah, that's a collector's item that he had to like rapidly consume Pokemon in order, you know, Pokemon related broadcasts and stuff yeah. in order to win. Makes no sense. He doesn't know what a friggin' bird is. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> it's, a, it's a pigeon, stupid. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a classic one that I've seen just a little clip from a later season. Yeah. Um, where I think the Pokemon involved is Servine. Okay. And oh, in the commercial breaks in Pokemon, there was a thing where they would show a silhouette of a Pokemon and they'd say, who's that Pokemon? And then right. you would spend the commercial trying to guess what Pokemon it was. And then you come back and it's like, it's Clefairy or whatever. Right. right. Mm. So in this thing, some trainer whips out a Servine. And remember, I said the Pokemon all say their names. Right. So <laughs> the Servine comes up. It's like, go Servine. And it pops up and goes, Servine. And then I think Ash says like, Servine. And then it goes to commercial. Who's that Pokemon? And the <laughs> silhouette is Servine. And it comes back right. and says, Servine. And then when it comes back, the first thing Ash says is, that must be Servine. It's gotta be. <laughs> like, you friggin' moron. <laughs> How many times do you need to be told that it's Servine? Right. Like Dora the Explorer would lose patience with him. <laughs> I'm thinking there's another scene that was very much liked. Oh, the all oh, the of all the moments in Pokemon that I hate. This this might be the top one. It's in the first episode when P when Ash gets his Pikachu and his Pikachu mm. doesn't like him at first. Yeah, he's and he's trying to talk to the Pikachu. He's he's like. Hey, Pikachu, I want to be your friend or whatever. And the Pikachu goes, Pikachu or well, that's that's the worst Pikachu yeah. impression in history. Everybody knows what Pikachu sounds like. OK, Pikachu. and hey, pretty good. So he's like, is that all you can say? It's just your name. And, he's like, Pika. and then he says, so you're just like all the other Pokemon. That is the worst dialogue in a cartoon I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I realize <All> right. <laughs> again, I realize it's setting up for the audience. Pokemon just say their names. Yeah. Mostly. Some of them say, you know, some of them just roar or whatever, but Sure. It's so awkward. And that's not the voice acting, it's the writing, it's the, the localization. Oh yeah. No, 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 no. It's just, okay, so I'll take on this a little bit. 
despite some infamous things in, you know, where the localization stumbled around, like, no, they're not rice balls, they're donuts or whatever, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> th- those, those are famous. But on the yeah. whole, on the whole, Pokemon episodes are almost the same. The dialogue okay. is seldom changed that much. Um, the background music is the same. Well, so the background music, what... I especially noticed in this episode, is yeah. kind of takes on the music in the video game. Oh, yeah, some of them, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the Pokemon episodes are really not changed that much. Hmm. Hmm. Also, I'll take a long walk to get to the who's that Pokemon here. Go ahead. So, uh, Brutella. Yes. The next the next episode features Nastina, who looks exactly like Brutella. <laughs> okay. And I think I I I think I think correctly here that there there is a joke on the video games having the same sprites over and over, yeah. where every nurse and basically every nurse in Pokemon is Nurse Joy. They look the same. They're all named Joy. Yeah, and I and, think they're cousins or something. Yes. Uh, and every police officer is Nurse Jenny, right? You, you, I well, think Officer a, Jenny. <laughs> oh, sorry, Officer Jenny, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this was an attempt to make a recurring uh, old lady character <laughs> because there's Anastina and Brutella. And in fact, they have the same name in the Japanese one, right? They're both oh. uh, Bob, Obabas. Okay. But funny enough, she's almost a Pokemon herself. <laughs> if you listen to the Japanese one, she ends everything she says with Baba. And some sometimes she only says Baba, right? Like uh, when Jesse and James, when she abducts them, like she pulls them back. Yep. Her original line is just Baba and she pulls them back. So hmm. when they get to the who's that Pokemon in this episode. Okay. In, in the English <laughs> one, it's, it's Pidgeotto. But in the Japanese one, it's her silhouette. <laughs> and when they come back, it's like, oh, Baba. And she's like, Baba. And they, <laughs> they have an animation of things being thrown at her and her dodging left and right and then getting hit by a wash tub on her head. But, That's uh, pretty funny. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so I also want to bring up for this episode, uh-huh. what a convoluted plot. Oh, man. Ash and company steal a boat and run it into a dock, which forces them to work in a restaurant, which is failing. So they must enter a beauty contest in order to save the restaurant. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was like. When are they going to get to the fireworks factory? (laughs) I want to see James's boobs because I know they're coming. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to see. I've seen that image multiple times. And I was really, I don't want to say excited, but intrigued to see it in context. Less than you thought, huh? (laughs) Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It's pretty much what it should have been, I guess. You know, even the action in this episode is weird. There's like, no Pokemon battle. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but like Charmander breathes fire on the heat seeking missile. Yeah. It malfunctions and then by providence turns around and attacks Jesse and James. Attacks the, the submarine, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> it would have taken a very little effort to just have him like breathe fire toward the submarine and have the rocket turn and follow the fire. Yeah. That would have made more sense. Yeah. But as yep. it is, it's just weird. I think my favorite thing in this entire episode was the, uh, the shark face drawn on the missile getting the yeah. shocked tear eye when the fire hit it. 
Yeah, that was pretty fun. Yeah, you know, <sighs> thinking about Pokemon more broadly, uh-huh. I actually do like the aesthetic of this cartoon. I like... Everything is a little simple, right? The Pokemon are... People will say that Generation 1 Pokemon don't, aren't as good as you remember. And yeah, some of them aren't great designs. Mm. But I do kind of like their simplicity, you know? Yeah. And I like this single layer of shading on things, too. This, uh, And the people, too, are kind of like... Everyone's a little bit short, and their limbs don't taper that much. It's mm-hmm. kind of a signature look. Or their, their hair is like a weird mass, you know, yeah. like... Misty's ponytail is almost a geode, right? <laughs> it just kind of is a bunch of spikes. Yeah. Um, people have tall, narrow eyes. I don't know. I kind of like the way the old Pokemon looks. I have a nostalgia for... How can I put this? In the original game, there was 150 asterisk Pokemon. Actually, mm. 151. Mm. And the idea was, you gotta catch them all. Which was not right. easy because sometimes you have to choose between more than one and you have to it's a permanent choice. You don't get the other one. Or like yeah. I said, there's multiple versions of the game and the Pokemon that are in each game are different. You got to trade. Yeah. Or buy buy all the games. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, And I, you know, there's something to that finite number. Like when the second game in the series, the second generation, which was gold and silver, when it came out, it was exciting that there was a whole bunch of new Pokemon. Right. But now there's I think there's almost a thousand Pokemon at this point to the point Mm. that they've given up on the got to catch them all catchphrase. I know this is a sticking point for you. I think there's something (laughs) there's something nice about just having a finite number. Mm. Even when when they launched the mobile game Pokemon Go, I think it launched only with the original 150. Okay. And some people were like, oh, I can't. You I know, want my Bidoof. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? Yeah, that's fine. Let's go back to just, you know, there's a finite number of Pokemon and you it is within reason to collect them all. Well, why would you buy the new game if it yeah. was just the same 150 Pokemon? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I mean, they had to add more to make more games. But at the same time. You know, the games are good. I I like the games by and large, generally speaking. I'm not a big guy on turn-based combat, but, you know, the games yeah. are okay. They're but fine. at the same time, I understand that they have to and you need new Pokemon. But at the same time, it's like there is something nice about just having a small collectible number like that. Well, you know, uh, Pokemon has been around so long now. Yes. It's just like it's just like the Simpsons or Magic the Gathering. Even if the one new ones are fun, you know, are good, I think I've had enough, you know. Yeah. 30 years is enough of Pokemon for me. <laughs> um that said, I like some of the new ones. I like the have you seen the one that's a sandcastle? I like that one <laughs> <Yes>. quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I actually I have new Pokemon Snap and um oh, okay. that is one of the Pokemon there's you'll find a it's it's kind of convoluted. There's a on a beach, there's a Pikachu that has a, a plastic shovel. Mm-hmm. And as you gain experience in that level, I think it eventually like makes that sandcastle or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's neat. I like some of the new Pokemon. And it's just like The Simpsons. I'll watch some occasionally, right? <laughs> and I'll enjoy them. I just don't need more. Yeah. But uh, we needed this one today. <laughs> and now we need uh, something else. Right. Um, yeah, so next week, we're going to go back to doing shorts. 
you know, we're each going to give ourselves two short cartoons to watch. Some of our favorite things to do. Yeah, I like these. Uh, so, Matsy, for you. Aha. I have, first of all, an MGM cartoon. Ooh. Called Magical Maestro. I think I might have a vague idea of what this is. Hmm. Okay. Well, after you've done watched, watching that, you might want to cleanse the palate. So I have a Bugs Bunny cartoon hmm. called Nightmare Hair. Oh, I think I know what that one is. All right. So no surprises this time. Well, I'm not 100% sure about the Magical Maestro. I just have like some vague... A, a vague sense in my head, some vague images. But Nightmare Hair, I think, is like, I think everybody knows that one. All right. For you, mm-hmm. I have an MGM cartoon. Okay. <laughs> I was, when you said that, I got worried. Yep. Um, this one is called The House of Tomorrow. Oh, neat. Hey, I think same director for both of these. Tex Avery? I think so. Neat. Hmm. And then I have a Looney Tunes. Actually, it's a Merry Melodies, I think. Okay. Uh, this is called Martian Across Georgia. Hmm. Okay. That feels like one of those ones that, if you remember it at all, the memories are vague. Because that's what it was for me. Well, that'll be interesting. We'll yeah. find out next week. Yeah. Yeah. All right, stalkers, look forward to that. Until then, tweet us suggestions about what to watch. Let us know what you think about the show. And you know what? This week, I have a real, real tweet. Oh. I know. Isn't that weird? Hmm. I think I'm pronouncing this right. Edion chatted me and asked, was the Garfield video you talked about uh, the one from Wolf? I talked about, like... uh, Garfield's legacy on the internet and all the weird places it went. Indeed, it is. It is by the uh, YouTuber iPatchWolf, and I'll I'll link that on my Twitter. Cool. Drabs watch. Excellent. Uh, For me, I would like you to tell everybody about Animation Celery. Spread that word out. We want this show to grow. We want everybody to know about it. Got to catch all the episodes. I'm AC Matsy on Twitter. And now, Celery Stalker slogan, I choose you. This is totally embarrassing and degrading, but we need the money. 